I'm excited this morning to um, introduce our speaker today. She is, um, I'm privileged to call her a friend. And um, she is one of the bravest women I know because she went on the youth trip with us this summer. Um, And she was so helpful. Uh, The thing I I love to say about Lori is that if she can't pray your problem out, she will prescribe it out. And that is one thing that's helpful to have someone who is is like a doctor and a, a preacher all at the same time. And um, she treated second, y'all, second-degree sunburns. One of the kids on the trip got second-degree sunburns. And Lori treated those. And But she also was just so great to have with us on our trip this summer. And I'm so thankful for her and all the things that she brings to our church. And so I, I just ask today that you lean in to what God has to share with her. I know that since we were at camp this summer, God has been speaking to her about what she would share today. And so I know she's got good things on her heart. So lean in today and give Lori your full attention this morning. Okay, good morning. As you all know, we've been in a series talking about the I am, I am, got my southern drogum, I am, the I am statements of God. And this week, we're going to John 15, which says that I am the vine. Jesus calls himself the vine. Now, I'm so glad that I got to hear the other speakers speak before me because James a couple of weeks ago talked about the fact that some of the things that God says in the word kind of grates against us. They're kind of hard to hear, right? And so he set me up well because some of this is going to be maybe a little hard to hear. But what I believe God is doing in our body and in the church universal is growing us up. We all know that regardless of what time it is in the timeline of Jesus, it's later than it was yesterday, right? And so we're getting closer and closer. And as, as the end of the current age approaches, whenever that is, who knows, we have to be fully grown up. We have to be eating the meat of the word and not just drinking the milk, so as we talk about this stuff today, please, please just calm your hearts and get ready to be pliable and just let the word wash over you and do its work, okay? I'm going to start out with prayer, and then we'll jump into it. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word says that it itself is alive and able to do the work that you've sent it to do. And God, I just pray that your word would do that work in our hearts today, that we would leave here changed, that we would be more snuggled up to you, that we would be more pliable in your hands, and that you would watch over my words to make sure that I communicate well what you have given me, Father. And I just ask you to have your way in us, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Okay. We're going to start reading John 15, and I guess it's going to be up there. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, that that sentence I want to interject in the Living Bible, it says, 
that he has already tended you by pruning you back for greater strength and usefulness by means of the commands he gave us. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He repeats it, so it's got to be important, right? He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now, we know that Jesus taught in parables all the time, right? And it's important as we take in these simple stories that he uses for profound truth that we understand all the players. So, the father is the vine dresser. He's the farmer. He's the gardener. He has the one who has prepared the entire atmosphere full of all the things that we need, everything we need for life and godliness, the the word says in another place. Jesus is the vine. And when we look at what the root of that word is, y'all know, well, some of y'all do. I love to dig in and see what the Greek and Hebrew in, in the words actually meant. In the Greek, that literally means the trunk of the tree, the root system. It's the establishing part of the plant. And so that's Jesus. Jesus pulls all of the nutrients from what God has provided in the environment, and then we are the branches, and he, Jesus, is the conduit through which all of the things we need come to us. And then we bear fruit because of what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have provided. We got it? Okay. All right, something else that we need to know about stories is the context. And in this story, the Last Supper had just happened. The chapter before, they had gone through the Last Supper. Judas had already agreed to betray Jesus, so you had that dynamic going on. Jesus had just washed the feet of the disciples and given them a demonstration of what a servant he was to them. And this scripture that we're talking about today is the last parable that Jesus would give the disciples before he went to the cross. It's the last bit of wisdom that he was leaving them with. As we all know, the last word that you say, you want to make it the most important, right? We say, I love you as we're walking out the door because that's what we want. The last word, if we don't come back, we want them to hear that. And this parable was one of the things Jesus said as his last words. So it's really important that we get the meat out of this. Y'all agree? Okay. Yeah, I got to have some feedback. Um, you know, I teach, I teach college students, and I, I got to have that feedback, okay? So y'all got to stay awake. 
I threatened to have a bowl of Skittles on my, on my podium and toss them at people. <laughs> it's not much of a threat. They would like that, actually. Okay, so some of the words we also need to understand, if we're going to get into this and understand the whole thing, we need to understand what they mean. The word prune literally means to clip off branches like we know about pruning trees, right? But it also means to cleanse of filth and impurity. And that's the deeper thing that God wants us to see, that God the Father, the gardener, is the ones, one that clips off things, that prunes us, that cleanses us from impurity. The word abide means exactly what you would think it would mean, to stay, but it also means to remain as one and not to become another or don't become different. And we're going to find out in a little bit, don't become different during the process. He's saying, I need you to abide. I need you to stick with this and not quit. Okay? Fruit is fruit. It's, it's what we pick off a tree. It's also children, the fruit of our loins, if you are the fruit of our looms or whatever, if you will. <laughs> it also means praises to God, and it means acts of service that we do out of that relationship. It also relates to the Galatians, uh, what is it, Galatians 5? Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, that's what we all learned in Bible school. All right, so we've, y'all understand the basis of the story. And when we get down to the bottom line of it, Jesus is saying, I'm going to need y'all to stay in the lane that I've put you in there. Stay in your lane. Now, how does that make you feel if somebody says, I'm going to need you to stay in your lane? How does it make you feel? I'm going to need an answer because I'm not going to go on until I get one. You don't like that. He said he doesn't like that. No. You don't like to be told where to stay, right? It's like, don't mess with, we don't want to hear from you on this subject. You got to stay in your lane. But in this case, that's what God's saying but he's not limiting us like the world would. This, this is about staying in the place where you're going to thrive and survive. It's very similar to, let me ask you a question, where do fish have to stay in order to stay alive? In the water, right, absolutely. Um, and in this instant, in, instance, he is likening us to a plant that has to stay in the soil. Because if you yank a plant up by its roots and toss it aside, what's going to happen to that plant? It's going to die. If you want it to, to be alive and thrive, it's got to stay planted. And that's what God wants us to do. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me. Now, I've already read this, but abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So here's our choice. Thomas talked last week about the fact, he talked about a lot of good things that I wrote down. But he said also that we have choice. We have free will, right? Do you all know you have free will? Yes. So we have choices. And so our choice in this matter 
is whether we want to have a fruitful life or not. Because the scripture that we've talked about says that if you stay where you're supposed to stay, you will bear fruit, get pruned, bear more fruit, on and on and on, or you're going to get what? Cut off and thrown in the fire. So there's your choices. Which do you pick? I know most of us, just like we reacted to the stay in your lane comment, we want to have a fruitful life, but we also want freedom. We don't want anybody telling us what to do, right? I mean, in this world, looking around at all the things that are going on, people want freedom. They say, I want to say what I want when I want. I want to do what I want. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I want to define myself as I want to define myself. And you better line up with it, right? Any of y'all felt like that lately? Yeah. And they say, I want to lie. I want to cheat. I want to steal when I want. I'm going to get mine. Y'all ever heard that? I'm going to get mine. You think that happens in the church as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. It happens in the church as well. Even when we're trying to follow Christ... We have to deal with offense. Well, I had a right to be offended because you don't know what they did. Or I want to focus on what I want. Or that preacher's not feeding me. I'm not getting what I want. I'm going to go somewhere else. Or I don't like that music. That that music, mm -mm, no, y'all got to change something. Or they don't like me. Or they didn't talk to me. Or it's all me, 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 me. And we define that as slavery. We define that as freedom, but what it really is is slavery to the flesh. It's a it's being bound to the me instead of participating in the great abundance that Jesus has planned for us. If we received Christ, and I think most of the people in here have probably received Christ. If you haven't, let's talk about it later on. Okay. Because there's lots of people who will pray with you and would love to see you make a commitment to Jesus. But those of us who have already received Christ, we made a choice and we have to remember who we already are. Colossians 2, 8 through 12 says, See to it that no one takes you captive, that you don't lose your freedom, is my translation of that. See, that no one makes you lose your freedom through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, all the controllers, all the ones who could possibly make make you controlled, he has already taken authority over those. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead." Circumcision. We all know what that means, right? It's a cutting away of the flesh. When we made the choice to follow Christ, he cut away all that flesh 
the word says he did, that was killing us in one way and caused us to be dead to the control of sin. Then he raised us to life in that same glorious moment and embedded us in the protection of the vine. Now, me standing here, I am, my insides, the life-giving portions of my body are covered with flesh. Lots of flesh, right? And when, if somebody were to cut away all that flesh, it would kill me, right? Yes, we all know that. And that's the picture God's giving us, that when, when we received Christ, he cut away all that flesh and in the same instant encased us in the protection of the vine. And that's where he wants us to stay because that's where we thrive and that's where we live. The flesh is no longer what covers us. There are so, so many references to his protection in both the Old and New Testament. He's, he's tried to tell us this all along in so many ways. He's talked about um, his name is a strong tower and the righteous run in and they are saved. He talks about us being under the shadow of his wings. There's, there's just so many, so many references. So in that place of having received Christ, we became dead to our own control and alive to him. Yes? So here's some news. We're all dead guys. All right, okay? We're dead guys. And I I will give you a little short thing about this. Um, Several decades ago in the early 90s, I had just gotten filled with the Spirit and was so hungry to hear about all the things of God. And God and I had this thing going where every year in January, could I get a bottle of water? Um, He would give me something new to ponder on for the whole year. And for three years straight, what I heard in my spirit from him was, get over it, you're dead. Okay, and like he about drove me crazy. Um, the cool thing is that our relationships with God are so are so sweet and so personal that he can say stuff that speaks to our own hearts and our own temperaments. And we can say, look, you're about to drive me crazy with this. You better show me what you're talking about. And he did. And I'm not saying that to say that was all that time of time ago and that I've got it all right. I don't, but it made a huge transformation in me just understanding that. And I've, I've walked in it and out of it and in it and out of it all of this time. And, uh, it's, it's made for a wonderful journey. So knowing that you're all dead guys, what do you know about dead people? What? They, they can't be offended. Can dead people be offended? No, they can't be offended. Do, ted, do dead people have anything to say? Thank you. Dead people have nothing to say. John eight twenty eight through 29 says, So Jesus said, this is Jesus himself talking, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, 
for I always do what pleases him. Jesus himself said, all the words that came out of his mouth were not his own. He didn't choose to speak his words. He spoke what God gave him, period. And John 12, 47 through 50 says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. Jesus is not your judge. For I did not come to the world um, to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge, and that's the father, the, ones that, the one that does the pruning. For the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, they, they get judged. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Okay, much better. Hydration. So Jesus again shows us That everything he said and did came from the Father. Do dead people have their own opinions? No, they sure don't. Can they move on their own? No, they have to be taken where they go. Do they have any control over what happens to them? Let me just tell you, I'm fixing to go to Medlin. I'm fixing to go to Medlin. Uh, But all I'm going to do is read a scripture. Luke 6, 27 through 31 says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's one of those really, really hard scriptures. But you know what? It's in God's word, and he actually means it. The last thing I have here, and there's so many more, but dead people can't and don't defend themselves. Does that go against your grain? Does that make you feel like something's grating against you? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's exactly the example that Jesus gave us. If you'll remember... In the process of going to the cross, they asked him questions. They mocked him. Did he defend himself? He did not. And it wasn't because he was weak or couldn't do it. It was because he was trusting God the Father to take care of the situation. All right, so we know we're dead, guys. The flip side, yay, is that we are free and gloriously raised in Christ. We're going to read the rest of that Colossians scripture. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, when you were dead in your sins, and hopefully we are still dead to our sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing uh, 
over them by the cross. He provided freedom. He provided freedom. So we are gloriously alive on the other side of that. So that's a pretty much a picture of who we are, right? We're these dead guys who struggle against all of this sinful stuff, but then we also know that we're gloriously raised with Christ. Let me tell you about another guy in the Bible who had this situation come up. His name was Joshua, and he was the one, you remember Moses um, didn't obey God, and so God said, well, I'm, I'm going to show you the promised land, but I'm not going to let you go in it because you done messed up. You're going to die right here, and Joshua is going to be the one who takes the children of Israel into the promised land, and that's exactly what happened. God said to Joshua that I'm going to be with you all your life, and there's never going to be anybody who can defeat you. I mean, he started out his walk with God in that way. God saying, look, you just stick with me, buddy, and there's nobody going to mess with you. So one day, the, they were in the process of taking over the land. God had told them to take this land that he showed them, kill everybody, take all the goodies. This is yours. I've given it to you. And they were encamped doing that in the process. And two guys show up on horses. And they look all worn out and bedraggled from a long, long journey. Joshua 9, 8 through 14 says, We're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where did you come from? And they answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of your Lord God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take these provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say, We're your servants. Make a treaty with us. Look at our bread. See this bread we got? It was Fresh out of the oven. I'm, I'm putting my own spin there on that. Warm when we packed it at home on the day and we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that, that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. So what went wrong? Somebody's going to have to talk louder. They did not ask God. They did not inquire of the Lord. These people knew that they were next in line to be killed and plundered, and so they came up with a great plan that worked in fooling Joshua and all of the leaders in Israel. They purposely made themselves up to seem like they were not living in the land that God gave them, but they were. So three days later, 
they found out that these folks were their neighbors and they should have been destroyed. But now Joshua has made a treaty with them and he is stuck with them. What Joshua did in his role as a branch was spend time and energy and grew a twig out the side of him that was not going to bear fruit that God was then either going to snip off and throw in the fire or he was going to leave it there to help Joshua remember to consult him in the future. Have there been some things in, it, in your lives? I know there have been in mine where I have spent time and money and resources and all the things doing something that I did not consult God about and there wasn't ever going to be any fruit on that, on that little twig, right? Yes. So not only is the simple act of abiding and seeking God's counsel freedom, but God also is always consistently working in the background to change things in us that we don't even know need changing. All right, so we're going to wrap this all up here in a scripture from Psalms. Psalms 37, 4. If you will remember back in the first part that we read, uh, John 15, 7, and you don't have to put that on the screen, but it says, if you will abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Psalms 37, 4 is a scripture that you're all going to be very familiar with when I read it. But it's one that I think that we have not exegeted. We haven't found the meaning in in the proper way in the past. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have heard this scripture for years and years and years growing up uh, in the name it and claim it movement and all kinds of things. You just delight yourself in the Lord, and he's going to give you whatever you want. But that's not what this means when we look at the, the basis of this. First of all, the phrase give you means to place within you or to appoint. So we delight ourselves in the Lord and he places within us or appoints desires in our heart. The word delight literally means to be soft and pliable. And the heart literally means the center of our feelings and intellect. The Hebrew language is multifaceted and words build on a basis of a baseline word. And then the meaning gets added almost like when we add several different layers of spice to a sauce, it, it gets fuller and fuller in the flavor. That's how the Hebrew language works. And the word heart, the top meaning is our center of feelings and intellect. And then we have demands. Okay. And then we have our inclinations and the determination of our will. And then the basis of that is to make wise, to become intelligent, And I'm going to add this because it was in there. 
but it also means to make cakes and cook bread. I don't know why that's in there, but I think that's something in the picture of comfort that that our hearts give us. So this scripture literally means that as we remain soft and pliable before God, he puts within us, he appoints the desires that will change our will to his, that will make us more wise and more intelligent. And then there's the thing about cooking bread and cake. I don't know about that, but that seems pretty wise too, right? Okay, so to recap, if we think about the whole of this scripture and, and what it means to us, we abide, we stay, we don't become another person in the process, we don't quit on him, and in that process, we trust him to cut off the things that are not going to be profitable even sometimes when it's painful. We delight ourselves in him by remaining soft and pliable. And as, as things come to tempt us that would cause us to become another person, we remember, get over it, you're dead. Okay? I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going I'm not going to have my own thought about this because God's already told me about what he thinks on this. And all the while, he is making us wise, intelligent, and he's changing our wills to match his. The as I was praying on the way over here this morning, um, I felt God felt like God spoke something else to me and just an example that I that I want to give I've never had to struggle with addiction to like drugs or alcohol or pornography or anything like that I know some of you probably have however I have struggled multiple times in my life with being addicted to thought processes and and I really think those have done as much damage as drugs or alcohol or pornography or anything else you can think of to be addicted to. I mean, we've all experienced addiction of some sort. And what we want in the midst of of not being able to line ourselves up with what we know the word God, word of God wants us to do, what we want to do is to have that ability to be soft and pliable and let him change our will because we're not we're not equipped to do that right I mean have you ever tried to stay on a diet and our, you know our, our will it just doesn't work when we try to do it so having that knowledge if we can bring these thoughts these scriptures back to mind and know that our job is to Stay soft and pliable before God. Stay in the right spot. Make good choices when things come to to tempt us. And instead of reacting out of anger or uh, reacting um, 
not like a dead person would react. We'd let God take care of it. That's when he changes the desires of our heart. That's when he makes his will line up with, our will line up with him. And that produces fruit that we all want to see, right? To close this morning, I, I, I felt like God wanted us to maybe spend some time in prayer. This is about, this whole word today is about staying positioned where God wants us to be positioned. And if there's, if there's anything that God has used this word to prick your heart about, I would encourage you to come to the altar or come, I think Lindsay and uh, maybe a couple other leaders are going to be coming um, to be available to pray with you if you want. I just think we need to let, let ourselves marinate in the word that God's given us this morning. Make some good choices. Begin that positioning to be soft and pliable before him that maybe we haven't done in the past. I know I need it. So um, Megan and the group are going to sing and the altar's open. So if you feel like you need to change your position, please do so.
Father, I thank you for your word that allows us in your grace and mercy to surrender. Father, you provide us with understanding in so many different ways, God, and I just pray that that your word would soak in, God, that we would see things around us in our our daily lives this week, Father, and your word would be brought back, that you would give us the courage to lay down the rights that we think we have, God, to position ourselves to be soft and pliable before you. Father, we surrender as a body, we surrender to you and ask that you would change our wills to match yours. God, we we desperately want to walk in wisdom. We want to be intelligent. We want to be the the light on the hill that that shines in the darkness, God. We worship you and praise you, God. We surrender to your will and your way. In Jesus' name.